Talkers. Welcome to No Prize from God, episode 30. No Prize from God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey, and my guest this episode is Dan Koch. He's the host of the You Have Permission podcast and a doctoral student in counseling psychology at Northwest University in Kirkland, Washington. He was the co-host of the Depolarize and Reconstruct podcast and played guitar in the band Sherwood. This was a super fun and fascinating conversation. And for you listeners who like when the interviewee turns the conversation around and starts asking me questions, this episode will be of particular interest to you. Remember, the best way you can support the podcast is to go into Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform of choice, and leave a five-star rating, and write a nice little review. You can follow No Prize From God on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and take deeper looks at our guests and the type of things we discuss at noprizefromgod.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ, and check out other Pop Curse podcasts, including Pop Curse, Musicians Talking Movies, and Speak and Destroy, a podcast featuring interviews about Metallica. So here it is, my conversation with Dan Koch. This is No Prize from God. with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. And the idea is that in my life and in my travels, I have encountered so many people, mainly musicians, but also authors, playwrights, filmmakers, who have some sort of unique, interesting take on life's big questions, uh, faith traditions, what have you, in all sorts of different directions, which isn't to say that every person's trip isn't unique to them. But I've noticed in the podcast space that it's a lot of Christians um, who tend to lean evangelical and, and often Republican, uh, for better or worse. Um, a lot of new agey self-help stuff and a lot of, you know, your Sam Harris's and your, your Four Horsemen of the Atheist Apocalypse. And it's not to disparage any one of those, but I just was like, well, where's, who's going to interview HR from Bad Brains, you know, about God? And that was sort of like the, which I have yet to do, come close. 
but that was sort of the inspiration, yeah. right? Was, you know, I want yeah. somebody who's burned a church down and I want somebody who's lived in a Krishna temple. And Can you know I what ask I mean? you a question about coming to that, this sure. project? Um, you know, as some, so you spent a lot of time interviewing a lot of musicians and being in the music world a lot as a journalist. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, I don't know if we'll get into it, but I spent 10 years in a band and we toured will. and, you know, so I have some of that experience as well. Not, not quite as much as you. Uh, but the thing that people don't tend to come out of that with is like, wonder what these guys think about God. <laughs> like that's not <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. So I'm curious why, like, why'd you go that direction? That's a great question. And no one's ever asked me that. Um, that's well, usually people that's think when they're being interviewed, they're not supposed to ask questions, but I'm training to be a psychologist. So I'm just like, Oh dude. And I love it. And, and that's the, out the window. That's the beauty of the podcast medium is that it's conversation. Exactly. Which is what my, all my interviews are, you know, I'm the masters often to a fault of asking the, you know, 92nd question, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I think it's because of my own faith background, which was that you know, my father's side of my family were Irish Catholics. And on my mom's side, which was Irish and German, they were Presbyterians. And my mom, when I was very young, became a born again Christian, as they called them yeah. back then. And was she so part I, of the Jesus movement? Like she the wasn't. These um, kind of actually she might have been. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because it was late 70s for her. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, but my parents divorced when I was young. Uh, my mom passed away when I was young. And so I had, I think, earlier than most, maybe, um, you know, a real kind of a seeker, as some people describe themselves, or, you know, I, sure. I, I was really grappling with that stuff at a time when I don't think a lot of kids my age were yet. And so I was always drawn to music that had a point of view, had something to say, whether it was political, you know, punk rock, whatever, but also that had meaningful things to say about the bigger questions. I, I put those together because for me, and I, I've said this elsewhere, that uh, discovering punk rock in high school, I think actually sort of solidified the place of Jesus of Nazareth in my life. Hmm. It, it didn't necessarily solidify, I don't know, like complex theological doctrines about the Trinity or something like that. <laughs> right. But, but like there was a guy who influenced Western culture more than anyone else. And what he was about was the poor and the marginalized and like saying, fuck you to the system. At 17, I was listening to propaganda and fucking rancid and just feeling my faith. And these are like adamantly a religious bands. Right. So, mm -hmm. and there was of course, which we may get into like a incredibly thriving Christian punk and ska and hardcore scene. Uh, and I would venture to say this is part of that. Ska maybe is a bit of a, I think they're, if we want to get into that, I think there are different forces that made Christian ska big than made Christian punk and hardcore big, which mm -hmm. was never commercial to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's kind of it, that there is a, there's a seriousness to young people who are religious and mm -hmm. there's a serious, there's a religiousness to straight edge, to, yeah. you know, posy hardcore, to like, yeah. There, there's a lot of overlap and I, I'm not the, I haven't, uh, I've heard other people talk about this as well. And so that was definitely my story that those things felt totally connected. I had no dissonance. And, the, and, and, there, and, and there's even about. a subcultural, uh, you know, a lot of things that are often described as cults. There are cult-ish 
charismatic personality based ideological lifestyle choice based uh sex within hardcore and punk especially um yeah yeah hardcore th- th- punk when something so like harry krishna got introduced right. it was like well this makes sense <laughs> this would be part of it you know yeah yeah and and that's that's also the, that's not what i was thinking but there's definitely an ideological thing too uh, and I, I was just listening to Against Me actually before we got on, just by chance, came up on Shuffle. But thinking about um, her song, uh, I Was a Teenage Anarchist, mm-hmm. uh, Laura's song, and how like that song's all about being burned by this rigid ideology mm-hmm. and realizing that there was actually nothing underneath, you know, the, the emperor had no clothes, right? But that kind of, that's not too dissimilar to what a lot of people who have left white evangelicalism are feeling as well. That's the evangelical feeling. Yeah. And it's a, yeah, to your point there is, yeah. And I was referring to that too. I I, I sort of ventured off into the Krishna consciousness thing, but, but yeah, I was really meaning the sort of political punk side or where there's an orthodoxy, there are, there are purity tests. And this is way, you know, for those of us who grew up in punk and hardcore, this is way before cancel culture and what, like a lot of stuff that's happening in mainstream culture now, word police, thought police, uh, the progressive side of it that's, that's important and positive, And then the part of it that's authoritarian and, you know, yeah, makes you, makes, makes you think, that, yeah, we've experienced all of it. Too. I've totally. already been around yep. multiple people that I think would, would go to a, a like a public hanging in Central Park of the bad guys and be stoked on it. You know what I mean? Like I knew people <laughs> like that. So it's not that Fuck new. Off Nazi Nazi punks, right? Yeah, yeah I mean the the, sure. the purity tests are uh, and the contradictions and flaws that come with the purity tests because how many people were wearing Charlie Manson t-shirts? Uh, you know, or later you could you could transpose that over to Burzum t-shirts or whatever you know it was always like there were always these edgy right. figures that were okay to be like yeah that, the, into. the black met the the true norwegian black metal thing as like this i'm just gonna get a little close to it and there's like a lot of radioactive energy there <laughs> and i know yeah. it's bad but at least yes. it's not reagan and thatcher so it's not that kind of bad yeah and that's and that's kind of like you could maybe say that that's like hey rioting and looting is fine or I'm, or I'm gonna at least flirt with the idea that rioting and looting is fine, <laughs> yeah. Because at least I'm not, I'm not on the authoritarian side, right? Uh, and you know, people could have those discussions. I'm not saying, I'm not planting a flag there. I'm just saying there might be a similar psychological mm. thing going on. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, you mentioned the the Christian hardcore thing and the Christian punk thing, which we should, which we should talk about because believe it or not, it doesn't get talked about a lot on this podcast so far. Even though I've had people from those worlds very specifically on here but i I think that in in terms of what we're talking about the disconnect there because i'm like you 100 percent in that the story of jesus to me ultimately had a lot in common with the angst and aggression and and disruption and iconoclast like the idealism of a lot of those punk bands and a lot of that style and the thing that I grew to find disconcerting about a lot of Christian hardcore as I first encountered it was that you had the, and this became a, a mega church, emergent church thing as well. When you look at like a Mark Driscoll or and with apologies to people listening who are, uh, this might be too inside baseball. I have no idea who we're talking about. Uh, yeah. I, I think yeah. that, 
you know, it, it became a costume, right? Where it's like, well, it's dressed up like this counterculture, but underneath right. the surface, barely underneath the surface, it's the same old. Yeah, you might crap. call it whitewashed tombs in the words of Jesus. <laughs> there you go. And, yeah. I, and I found that I didn't relate to suburban jocks who were into their parents' Reaganism ma- right. kind of masquerading as punks. And I think that that's where a lot of distaste for Christian punk and hardcore came from with a lot of quote unquote true punks and true hardcore kids is that's how they saw it. But then when I would encounter, you know, the band Zeo comes to mind when, you know, I got to see their second show ever with Dan on vocals and Russ on guitar and Brett Detter on guitar and became very close with those guys in that era and, and Jesse and all those guys. They to me were the real Christian story. And I don't mean orthodoxy. I don't mean purity. I, I couldn't speak for any of them right now, what they would label themselves. But in that moment at that time, Dan in particular, taking Dan as a case study, here was a guy who had experienced a lot of trauma in his life and who came to Christianity, not as a small child, but as a young adult hmm. and was up there on stage pouring something out that was meaningful and raw and different and unique in the same way that unbroken dead guy, uh, you know, all sorts of bands that I was turned on by at the time were doing. And that to me was the coalescing, if you'll pardon the pun of (laughs) what you were talking about back to your original point of feeling that spirit, that presence in that it's giving me goosebumps even talking about it right now. And that was the thing where, you know, and I often found myself in in conversations where I wasn't Christian enough with around the Christian hardcore kids. And I was too Christian-y around all the other hardcore kids. And and there were, I mean, you know, there were bands that were, I mean, there were kids that would boycott shows because a Christian band was playing. And then there, of course, were swaths of Christian kids who wouldn't go to quote unquote secular shows, either because their parents wouldn't allow it or they just or, you know, had this puritanical uh, looking down their nose thing at it. But yeah, I think the exciting thing about it and the thing that's worth embracing is again, to come right back to what you said in the very beginning. That, And I think that that's a really, it, it's unique that you've articulated it the way you have, but I don't know that it's a unique feeling. I bet a lot of people feel the way you and I do in that oh, sense yeah. and you just don't hear it enough. I mean, think about a band like Five Iron Frenzy, who, uh, you know, not the most uh, numerically successful of the Christian ska bands. That's probably the Supertones, mm-hmm. um, but second, and I would say the more lasting band. I mean, that band. I don't know if you've been following this. They still raise one hundred fifty thousand dollars every time they do a Kickstarter every yeah. five six years. So they were one they, of the first bands that I heard about, like crushing it with yeah, crowdsourcing one, yep and then they just did one last month and hit over a hundred thousand dollars so crazy there's something with that band and you there's silliness it's ska there's horns but the first track on the first five iron record is called the old west and it is an indictment of manifest destiny wow. through the lens of sort of christian like you know uh an evangelical version of the gospel right so like a works-based salvation, uh, but it's these cowboys saying we'll kill these Indians, or if we don't baptize them or whatever. Yeah. And uh, there's a line: "They are all disgusting and bringing me great pain." 
So he's getting into like discuss psychology of the other and the ethnic other. Mm. I mean, like that's track one, album one. That he yeah. is setting of it Christian up. ska, Christian <laughs> yeah, ska punk band. And right? I guarantee you, there's some crust punk in like a His Heroes Gone T-shirt who's who's condemning a band like that who has no idea how much depth. Oh, lyrically, there I might mean, be. Five yeah. Iron is. Uh, I mean, it, they're kind of off the charts. Um, and the the depth in those songs. I mean, on the third, fourth, third or fourth record, depending if you count an EP, the song Fahrenheit is about how he was a kid and he condemned Freddie Mercury for being gay, and his guilt about wow. that. Wow. Uh, and he's and he's since come further to like full on LGBTQ affirmation, which mm -hmm. he wasn't at at the time. But even then, to like have a song about that, about like you know, I I said he had it coming. You know, I was parroting these lines of my hateful church culture in this particular aspect, you know. Mm. And this is a guy who still goes to a Presbyterian church with his wife and kids. I mean, like, Reese is like a standard American Christian believer. Wow. But he always had that edge. His faith was always about that. And so that for me was like, okay, I can start here as a 14-year-old. Yeah. Like, hell yeah, let's do this. I used to, my shorthand with people who were militant atheists, either because it was part of the puritanical orthodoxy of punk that they came from or where, whatever their trip was, my shorthand to ease the conversation would often be, well, I'm a Johnny Cash Christian. And it's like, oh, and then they kind great. of understood, you know, like, it, Oh, I might take that. I like that. That's please good. feel free. It's a, it's a nice way to ease into it when it's, when the gulf seems yeah. insurmountable. I think that uh, most people who are militant, are repeating talking points that they've received from someone that they either look up to or don't realize that they shouldn't look up to like yeah. parents or something like that. And, you know, a, a true militant is not a mature uh, adult. Um, I think really in any case, Agreed. Uh, you know, there, there are times where there is only one clear option uh, and those times do exist. And those times are quite rare. Um, yeah. So to, to kind of have your whole life be, around a sort of militant form of anything, be it hmm. a faith, an anti-faith, uh, a political philosophy of whatever. V vegan straight edge. Speaking sure. from personal I mean, like, experience. To, to personally be vegan straight edge is fantastic. To be a militant vegan straight edge is to, sh to, to make me think that there's something not arrived yet in, hmm. Your, hmm. in your story. Hmm. And you know, that sounds judgmental. Maybe no, I, 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 if I would have heard that when I was 19, I would have debated you for the next two hours. Hearing <laughs> it now, I'm like, yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. probably would have enjoyed the debate, actually. And I would have <laughs> so, said a bunch of bullshit myself. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, man, what did you just say before? I didn't even let you ask me one question. So no, and this is great. Because we're, we're already off to the races. Oh, I know what I was going to tell you that you, you made me think of. There was... There's a good friend of mine, he's not dead, <laughs> but, a, but a, good, a good friend of mine a couple of years ago when I was kicking around the idea of starting this podcast and I told him about it. And he's a very dyed in the wool, like Sam, Sam Harris fanboy. He was immediately was like, oh, I want to come on there. I want to debate you. And his, and his whole attitude towards me, which is both patronizing and complimentary, is that he feels that I'm too smart to have any sort of faith in any superstition, supernatural things you can't see and touch sort of way. And so he's frustrated that I don't check the boxes of the things that you immediately assail about someone who's religious, you know, right? Well, do you believe that the man is the head of the household? No. 
do you believe gays are going to hell? No, I'm not sure I believe in hell. They're definitely right. not going if there is one. You know, it's like when you yeah. when the their house of cards starts to fall down, he would get frustrated with me and just it's like he, he sees me like I'm teetering on the edge and he wants to just push me the rest of the way over. And what I had a difficult time explaining to him, and I don't know that I ever communicated it clearly, those aren't the conversations I'm interested in. I'm not looking to debate and persuade or be persuaded which isn't to say that i'm not open to new information and changing my that's the whole thing that i want to do you know and and that's where while i haven't had that friend on to come and debate the existence of god i've had multiple atheists on the show (laughs) and multiple people who believe things that are wildly different from what i believe just in the sense that their experiences are so different from mine more than one person on the show that sees and talks to ghosts and that's not my experience, but I'm not putting a value judgment. I'm interested in it. Tell me about it. You know? Um, so I guess my point there being, yeah, that is the, the sort of battle lines that we drew as teenagers and young adults, I think was demonstrative of a certain kind of passion that's important, but eventually you do yeah. grow into a more nuanced, you know, and, and this, and and now I'm going to apologize to people listening that have listened to other episodes because I say this a lot these days. But I've found that in the last few years, after a lifetime of being in pursuit of certainty, that where I am most comfortable is in uncertainty. And that, you know, it's not a, as, as a friend of mine put it to me the other day in another episode, it's not an either or proposition. It's a both and you know and and that's kind of you know just living in the in the messiness of it and being comfortable in the messiness of it and not having this need to be certain and know the absolute truth about everything from the top down and view the world through this set of parameters which isn't to say that i don't have certain values and certain things that i believe to be true but i'm i'm so much more comfortable in the mystery well, uh, so I have a thought about the uncertainty thing. So I'm, I'm training to be a psychologist right now. Yes, and, which I uh, think pretty, is fascinating. I'm pretty early on. I'm in my second year out of five. And <laughs> You're uh, like, I'm pretty early on. I started yesterday, but let me tell you what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Four years of class and I've done one and, and a little change. Um, and, but this thing came up about training to be in the room with your client. And the kind of like personal formation that you have to do in order to kind of be able to get out of the way so Mm. that you can be helpful. And one of the things that came up in one of these things I was reading for school was the idea of certainty. You have to be comfortable with uncertainty in the room. Mm. So there's going to be a lot of times where your client does not know what they think. They don't know what they want to do. They don't even know if they want you to give them advice or not. There's a lot of ambivalence. A lot of therapy is about coaching people through ambivalence hmm. to make a choice and, you know, pick the healthy one, et cetera. And uh, hmm. so that strikes me as having a kind of a theological um, ring to it as well. So I, I pulled this up because I'm interviewing uh, Dr. Pete Enns about certainty hmm. uh, next month. And I, I'm going to bring this up with him. He's an old Testament scholar, but uh, wrote a book called the sin of certainty. So mm-hmm. he's thought a lot about this issue. But to me, it seems like there's something mature about that. Like there is uh, something theologically mature, but just generally like human maturity of like, if I can't sit with uncertainty, 
then that means there's some fundamental anxiety within mm. me that is that I am actually a slave to. So if I need certainty, then that means I need to control my surroundings and my life in some way. And the more that we have to control things, it seems to me that actually means that we're not in control of ourselves. We're not sort of, we don't have like poise, right? We don't yeah. have centeredness. If we're kind of like, well, if this comes up, I immediately have to dodge it. Well, that's not a great way to be, right? Like no matter what that thing is, you know, it, it it's easy to see with therapy, right? A client comes in and says, uh, I sexually abused somebody. Or you maybe you work in the prison system and you're working with offenders and you have a you have a client who's bragging about what he's done. You can't if you act like a normal person to that, then you have just given him the 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 validation he wanted and he will not make any progress now. Hmm. You have to be nonplussed. You have to be go, okay, so why are you telling me about this? You know, like what what's it doing that you're why, why are you bragging about this to me? Uh, do you, what do you think my response? You have to be able to like sit there, absorb it and engage. Some people will not work with sex offenders, for instance, because maybe they've been victims of that kind of abuse or for whatever reason, they know that they can't do that. But mm. like whoever it is you're working with that you have a, a proficiency in, you got to be able to like let that sit in the air and like just sit with it. And so I've just been thinking about this a lot. So it's funny that you would bring that up. Oh, I love it. I love that your, you know, sin of certainty has been one of my guideposts with uh, arriving at this conclusion. So oh, cool. I look forward yeah, to hearing Pete's that episode. Great. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Yeah, and and it probably won't surprise you to hear that uh, Pete Rollins is a is probably my number one in terms of the work that he does and okay, how cool. I feel about things. Yeah, I I have I'm less familiar with his work, but I I'm sort of do to dive in a bit and, and chat with him at some point. It's definitely along this train of thought that we're on <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to yeah. say the least. And you know, it, it, it's so funny because I saw, I'll just, I'll, I'll just let this one hang in the air. I saw Pete open for Rob Bell for lack of a better word. Um, at, at a, a venue in LA that I love called Largo and Pete did his thing. He did a little talk and then Rob did a big talk. And afterwards there was a Q and a portion. And all of this just thought provoking, whatever you think of either one of those uh, speakers is an extremely thought provoking evening of discussion. And towards the end of the night, somebody inevitably, one might say, gets up and their question is, okay, but are you guys Christians? Do you call yourself a Christian? And you could feel some of the rest of us in the room go, oh, you know, because I, and it's like, I understand, I understand the need that that person felt to ask that question. And from that person's clearly on, on some sort of path to have even been in the room. And it's like, cool, you're in the room. Awesome. And so you could sense that like, oh, I know where I know. I, I remember that part of the path, <laughs> you know, like come with us to this part of the path, you know, where it's just like the wrong you're not getting the right answer. You're not getting the answers you want because you're asking the wrong questions. And I used to hear people say things like what I'm saying right now and think like, that's so loosey goosey and relativist. And you know, what, what a, what a, what a cop out. And now I'm just like sitting here. I'm, again, I'm getting goosebumps. Cause I'm like, Oh no, I get it now. <laughs> I get well, it. So I, I want to 
I understand what you're saying. I want to push back is too strong of a term here, but I have thought about this too, the, the label Christian and stuff, because so many people uh, who are Christians would not believe me when I say that I'm a Christian or they wouldn't, they wouldn't think that it would count. Yeah. Well, same, same here. Yeah. Right. Um, but I wonder if there's a way to, there's like a, if that's the, the second step that you're talking about. Hmm. So the first step is the person like still tinkering with the term. Then second step, they get to where they don't care about the term and they're just trying to ask the right questions. But then maybe there's a third step where they come back to the term and they don't care about what the term signifies in the broader yeah. culture, maybe. And they don't have the term in an anxious way applied to themselves or others, mm. but they recognize that like, it's still this thing affiliated with Jesus Christ. So yeah. it's Christian, you know, like there's ways you could like the way that I think of that term is like, ah, my life is based around Christian principles, like principles from the life and tradition that follows Jesus of Nazareth. So it's not Buddhist. It's not, agnostic. I mean, I, what am I going to call it? I'm going to call it Christian. Uh, that's why I tend to say progressive Christian, because that at least signifies to people that there's, okay. That it's not quite not what be, they yeah, might associate might be, with it. Right. What they associate with it. And then if they have questions, we can talk about yeah. it. But, and then even, the, and then even yeah. that though, and by the way, I, didn't, I don't think of that as a pushback because I, I agree with you, but even that then one could push back on and say, well, progressive Christian just makes someone think, oh, you're a Bernie Sanders voter. You're right. You know what I yeah, mean? Like it puts you in a different box, you know? Maybe not the right word either. No, yeah, I know it's... I know what you mean. But yeah, but right. I'm, I'm with you in that. I mean, look, as somebody who is in my 40s and still describes myself as straight edge, um, and even that's been debated by different straight edge people, I know whether or not I'm truly straight edge, because once- ah, Every in-group has their own police. Yeah. Once yep. 26 years ago, I had a beer and did not get drunk. 26 oh years ago and there are people who i didn't even know then who i've freely confessed that to because it's not a secret who openly declare and make it their job on the internet to make sure people know that i'm not actually straight edge because of that man i need to introduce these people to a little uh a little concept i learned as an evangelical steeped in purity culture which is called virginity of the heart so if you if you lose your virginity, this was the idea. If you yeah. lost your virginity, well, you can't get that back, but you can you can still get back virginity of the heart. Brilliant. When you come back to when the you Lord, recommit you yourself start over. Nice. Yeah. So you have straight edge of the heart. Very nice. There you go. Yeah. So someone in my forties who still calls myself straight edge, regardless of people who have that odd puritanical. Because at least with religion, there's holy books, there's scriptures, there's some kind of set of agreed upon parameters. Straight Edge doesn't even have that. It's got a song. And then I would argue another song, but some people say, well, not that song, this song. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. as someone who identifies that way and identifies as a Christian, I'm with you in the sense that at a certain point, I have to come all the way back around to like, well, I can't whatever baggage people bring to these terms is on them. And I can do my best to, you know, as the, the St. Francis quote, right? Uh, Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Like do my best to demonstrate what I think it's about. And hopefully that comes across. Like versus, imagine the you know, guy in the Largo thing, right? Like I think you're probably right that the person asking that question in that setting to those two guys, knowing what I know about them and this kind of world is probably working on some anxiety. 
But it's also possible that we are assuming too much about that person. Of course. Instance, of course. It's L.A. It's a multicultural city. What if they're a Hindu who moved to L.A. two years ago and they're like, I'm sorry, is this a Christian thing? I can't tell. You didn't you didn't make it <laughs> yeah. clear to me. I'm coming from an Eastern tradition. I find this all very interesting. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons to ask that question. And I think that I just don't want us to be too narrow that like, oh, the you know i i do i hear this i hear the path language a lot and on in one sense yeah and i'm not trying to say for, further backwards or but yeah the idea but that it's, it's linear isn't fair it's just right? it's yeah it's a problem with language you're right because it i don't mean it that way I my, mean, my 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 assumption that, would be yeah. that the two main the two possible strongest possibilities for that question were one an insecurity that if he can get that affirmation, no, no, yes, we're still in the same club that you're in. Would calm him down or whatever. It would right? calm him down and he could now accept some of the radical ideas that they've just presented because he knows that it's like a safe Which, space. by the way, not a bad way to convince people of radical ideas. Indeed. In terms of like, uh, you know, the psychology of mind changing, mm. you, you do, you, you, you anchor with something that people are comfortable with yeah. and then you introduce something new. Yeah. I mean, that's like a good way to do it. So I, I mean, I think that's why Pete that. even speaks in Christian terminology at all <laughs> for that reason you just described. But yeah, yeah I, I would not to speak for him. But um, and then, of course, you know, the other the other one I'm going to go to as a likely scenario was that that was a, an attempt at a gotcha moment. You know, I'm going to be the one yeah. that's going to get the sought after answer. To also, the, by the way, if this man was white, yeah. then he probably wasn't Hindu. I mean, you had some more data than sure, I sure. had in the hearing the story. But you know what I'm saying? There's just yeah. Uh, there's the a labels. there's a numerous possibilities, and by no means do I mean to imply that I'm somehow more enlightened or further along the quote unquote path, which is yeah bad it's, terminology. I don't, yeah, that. it's hard not to it's imply hard not that. To talk I mean, about people it believe way, what yeah. they believe, and if you believe something, you disbelieve the opposite of it. And you know, and and we 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 like to think narratively. We prefer and default to think narratively, and so everything is progress by default. Whatever mm. I believe or do today is by default better than what I used to do or believe. But like, I'm probably regressing in some areas. Right. I don't know which areas those are. Right. So, you know, it's, it's kind of naive to assume that whatever comes next is always better. <laughs> right. Uh, although I do think that we can draw, like, I basically believe that the moral arc of the universe is long and bends towards justice. Like there is, there is some of that, but it's, it's in fits and starts. And so we might, yeah. you know, for and, instance. And, and there's a lot of one step forward, two steps back, you know? Exactly. You get, you get exactly. marriage equality and then you get Trump. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like let, that's let me... to, to me isn't necessarily <laughs> evidence that it's, that, right. that it's all gone to crap. To me, it's right. sort of, it's evidence that it is going forward towards justice because there's yep. this opposite. And if, uh, I don't know reaction. when this is coming out, but if the, if the election roughly follows the polls, then he will lose in a landslide and mm. then everybody will say it's a repudiation of Trump right. and let's move forward. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen. Uh, but I do think that Trump coming after Obama is not a coincidence. Right. And so right. there, we do have these things. Let me, let me throw one out there that us progressives are a lot less comfortable with, mm. but that I think could be true. So you've got uh, centuries of reproductive, authoritarianism of men towards women and then you get the liberation movement of the 70s and on and to a point where the you know the some big portion 
of uh, pro-choice or abortion rights advocates, you know, are are comfortable with very late-term abortions, uh, certainly viable babies that, with modern technology, could very easily live in a in a country where there are far more willing adoptive families than there are adoptive adoption ready children maybe that's something that 10 15 years from now we look back and go ah we we overcorrected there we now have something more compassionate sort of more whatever yeah. that includes robust health care for poor mothers who want to keep their children you know like i'm not i'm not giving the gop platform here no i understand uh, but like Hey, I, I would I would wager I would personally say yeah we've gone too far in backing off of that very real repression that was there earlier so you know it's it's maybe two steps forward one step back kind of a thing yeah indeed and a lot of overcorrection about a lot of things what I would call uh, thought policing that is happening in certain circles uh, for example being being one area where it's like we have to have the freedom to discuss and disagree and and make mistakes and say the wrong things i mean i, I liken it to as a big fan of stand-up comedy to comedians i think nothing should be off limits and uh nothing is is uh should be taboo um if it's funny it's funny if it isn't funny it isn't funny and and that's kind of the you know how that should work and there needs to be the space to exercise to arrive at some kind of new conclusion about something and, and be wrong along the way. But yeah, to your point, uh, a few episodes back, I had a guy named Eric July on the podcast who is a uh, Christian anarcho, what is it? And uh, ANCAP, an anarcho-capitalist libertarian. And I was asking him, as I'm fascinated by libertarianism and and identify with a lot of what it uh, purports to stand for. I said, Hey, where, so you're a Christian anarchist libertarian. Where do you land on abortion? Like what's the, and he was like, well, <laughs> that's probably the biggest divide in the libertarian movement because, and, and obviously where I was going with the question was I could see an argument that if, if libertarianism is about individual freedom and it's about property and the first piece of property is yourself then of course pro-choice but if you believe you know life begins at conception and protecting the rights of others and not infringing their rights and so on and so on. so yeah it, it, it's and i was kind of like darn it i mean you guys didn't fix this one either <laughs> yeah i mean the the so much of the abortion thing just comes down to personhood and and rights bearing personhood right so New life obviously begins at new genetic life begins at conception. That's you know, uh, that's math. You have fifty percent of these genes and fifty percent of these genes, and now you got a new genetic entity. But the question is, when does that life bear rights? And if you think that rights begin at conception, that's sort of the the rightmost option. And then you could think rights begin at birth, or even I, some people at some point in time have said after birth, like with kids, maybe in, maybe in eras where kids died, you know, babies died a lot, like at two, yeah. you have rights or something, you know, you're fully your parents' property until you're two or something like that. Uh, so that would be the continuum and sort of where your intuition is will determine a lot of what you think is appropriate policy sure. on that. It's yeah. really complicated. It is uh, very complicated. And, and I often personally these days go with, 
And this is a great example of something that at one point in my life, I felt the need to be certain about, and that has changed to a lot of nuance and gray area. I kind of err on the side of, well, at what point can this life exist outside of this woman's body? That, and not, to, and not of, to say that yeah. they're not still dependent. I mean, some people are uh, yeah. dependent on their parents when they're 30, right. but, but can physically is able to live. You know, I think that's that, kind of the median sort of compromise point these days is viability. What's yeah. interesting about that is viability keeps going it keeps changing because medicine progresses. Sure. Uh, and I think that's great. I mean, I, I sort of want more babies to be viable as someone who has gone through a uh, pretty long period of infertility and multiple miscarriages with my mm-hmm. wife before we eventually chose to do IVF and have our son. Uh, I, I am like uh, eternally grateful. Let's use that word for reproductive medicine and the, you know, where we've come, which also means I, I have to be somewhat okay with research on embryos. So it's all, you know, it's all very complex. It's a big web. Yeah. What is um, eternity, Dan? No, I'm just, I just wanted to, I haven't asked a question yet, so I thought that'd yeah, be a good one. Do, So what kind kidding, of questions did you have for me at the 38 minute mark? Oh, dude, I'm, my first question is how many times can I have you back? Because this oh, is- uh, happy to come back. This is already so fun. He's in a pod. This is awesome, yeah. yeah well, well, I have to say that when I was also putting together this podcast and kind of complaining about what was out there, and going with that, I, I shouldn't, complaining is maybe not even the right word because I'm a big believer that a lot of great things, movies, bands come out of that thing of like, well, write the song you want to hear, make the band you wish existed. And so we I'm, can I'm, be the bands we want to hear against me returns. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, one of the lyrics in the song new wave. And I love that lyric. We can be the yeah. bands we want to hear. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Apply um, it to anything. So as I was, yeah, kind of developing the concept for this podcast, yours, your, I guess, former podcast, was one of a very, very, very small handful that people I trust recommended to me and were like, well, you should be listening to this. Have you heard this? Um, uh, so that was how I first became aware of you. Uh, reconstruct. That was actually oh, okay. how I first became aware of you. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your background into transitioning kind of from full-time musician to, uh, I hate to say podcast person because, you know, it's like everyone has a podcast now. But I feel like you have a much more clout in that regard because you've been doing it longer and before it was fashionable. My podcast been into podcast since the job. demo. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you've been podcasting yeah, I, since the seven inch. I was uh, I was in a band called Sherwood. Mm-hmm. I describe us as an emo pop band, you know, in the vein of like Jimmy World, uh, but not as good. And we were on like MySpace records. And mm-hmm. if, if you, if you might've heard the name, it's probably because you saw like a MySpace ad on the front page. Hey, you had great label mates. It was like you and Pennywise and Pennywise came later. I think, yeah. I think there was um, an Ricky, AFI EP that was on an AFI single that was on MySpace. That might've been, that might've been toward the end of our time. Uh, although I guess we went down with the ship. So technically Mickey Avalon, Hollywood undead was on yeah, MySpace, that's right. but they immediately upstreamed to Interscope. So it was yeah. like, they weren't really on MySpace. Um, it was a, a motley crew, not a lot of internal sonic consistency. Uh, very, I, very man, cool I spent so many Chili's bucks. Did you get, did you get Chili's bucks like for your no, royalties or? We didn't do Chili's bucks. No. You know what I'm talking about though, right? We, we had friends who got Taco Bell, the Taco Bell, the border bucks. Oh, I got those got too. Those. That's, that's a whole separate yeah. thing. I got some of those as well as a manager for bands. I got those for some of my bands, but no, the chili bucks were when MySpace used to do the secret shows. Oh, they were sponsored right. by Chili's and they didn't pay you. 
but they would pay for expenses and travel and, and every, everything but actually paying you. And then yeah. they would give you a bunch of Chili's bucks that you could spend. And one of my bands who did it at the time, uh, none of them liked Chili's and I lived right by one. Oh, you're pumped. So yeah, I was, so they just, I just had all of it, like all five band members, Chili bucks, and mine. <laughs> like, you, got, you just got your baby just, back We on. ate there so much. <laughs> uh, no, but so we, they might've just said to us, Hey, we're going to put, cause we did at one or two of those secret shows, like opening up for people. Um, and they might've just said, Hey, after we give you a $75,000 advance and put you on these shows, we're not going to give you any chili bucks, which would have been fine. So, uh, Fair enough. I don't know if it was 75, it was something like that for all, you know, recording budget and all that included. Sure. Um, but yeah, so we did that and I actually, uh, I found a way back into music. So I, after about a year and a half, two years hiatus where I finished my undergrad and did odd jobs, um, early married life up here in Seattle, I started doing commercial composition. So Mm. that is my main day job now and has been for about eight and a half years. Uh, and so. I, yes, I've actually stayed in music and then now I'm in grad school to eventually phase out of that and become a psychologist. So, uh, that, and then podcasting came four years ago or so, I guess it was 2016, um, because I was working on reconstruct, which was an idea with my buddy, John at the time, back when he was more into theology. Now he is more into philosophy. And so we are not podcasting anymore because, Mm. Even though I have a philosophy degree, it's above my pay grade, and I'm not that interested in it. Um, and, he, but he is, which is fine. So we were talking about that, and then the Trump thing happened. So I started this show called Depolarize, which was sort of like psychology, politics, and religion, like yeah. all the worst dinner guest <laughs> topics in one show. Hey, what should you never talk about? What was the show? <laughs> yeah, it's let's all combine them. them all in every episode. <laughs> uh, and did that for a while. Got super burnt out on on talking about trump and sure and just the anxiety of politics so uh took a by the way break. i think this is the first time i've brought him up and on no price from god so oh nice sorry congratulations <laughs> you're no, like great. great it's i get to be the one <laughs> no i'm just i'm fucking proud of you is what i am um and then uh yeah so then the new show is called you have permission just kind yeah. of a reorienting to what i'm most into which is uh at this point is like a open-minded christianity that takes like science and the modern world seriously. Hmm. Um, and it's pretty wide range of topics that all kind of fit under that umbrella. I love it. Uh, and that was very, that was a very succinct, which I, I believe if you can explain what your podcast is in a couple sentences, you probably shouldn't be doing one because the idea that we just want to hear you talking is, uh, <laughs> yes, right. Uh, yeah. If you can't, if you can't give the elevator pitch, um, well, and, and so that's actually funny to say that. So, uh, this guy, Jesse Bryan, who uh, runs a creative agency up in Seattle here called uh, called Belief, mm-hmm. he I'm recommended familiar. that you name whatever the project you're doing, you name it as close as you can to the thing you would yell out of a plane if you had one sentence to yell or one phrase to yell. Like, this is the thing you're trying to get across to people. And so that I was like, you have permission. So many, especially in growing up evangelical, um, a lot of religious leaders and religious communities will explicitly or implicitly say that these questions you're having, young young man or woman, uh, or old, you know, or full adult, uh, these questions you're having are not 
within the bounds of acceptance here. Mm. You're, these are not questions that we ask. So those questions you asked are good, but these questions aren't. Um, and, and the problem is most of those religious leaders or structures are actually ignorant as to the wider Christian tradition. Even, mm. even mm. take out other faiths just within Christianity. Yes. For almost any question a Christian has, do I have a soul or am I all material? Is there hell? Is gay sex sinful? Uh, what about people of other religions? Um, any of these questions. There are actually three to 20 answers that very thoughtful Christians have put forward. And uh, we, we actually just don't know about that, especially if mm. you're in a non-denominational church and your pastor didn't even go to seminary and didn't have to learn any of that shit. Uh, you know, so there's, so permission was like, that was the, the phrase have permission like, to think oh, about do. this and like, talk about this. And yeah, fuck that you have permission. Like who's going to tell you, you don't, first of all, you're Protestant. So the Pope couldn't tell you. Second of all, you, your pastor, your one guy, he knows quiz yeah. him on Eastern Orthodoxy. See how he does. Right. Like, yeah, of course not. So ask, ask him what yeah. year the word homosexual appeared in the Bible for the first time. Right. It's like the sixties. Yeah. Forties. You know? Is yeah. it the 40s? 40s, yeah. 1946, uh, I think, yeah. But it, it gets I only, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm definitely not smarter than you. I only know that because I literally talked to somebody about it yesterday who's smart. Oh, yeah. No, that's good. The Dale Martin has a really cool chapter about that in his book, uh, Sex and the Single Savior. He was a Yale uh, New Testament scholar, just retired a couple years ago. He's been on the show. But oh. uh, he, uh, he talks about. Um, What's his name? Dale Martin. Okay, so. The guest that I recorded an episode with yesterday, I don't know if you're familiar with a uh, documentary called For the Bible Tells Me So, and uh, For They Know What, Not What They Do, which is the newer one, but Daniel Carslake, who's the director of those, he mentioned the same guy you just mentioned, um, okay. and Daniel is currently uh, executive producing a documentary. I think the documentary is called 1946. Um, oh, cool. Yeah about that that very thing but he was making the same point you were uh, about how you know he was saying that oftentimes the, the christians who come up to him quoting scripture in defiance of whatever you know movie of his they've just watched or something as soon as he starts quoting it back they shrink away in defeat because it turns out they don't really know much, you know, like it's yeah. the people, the, the people who want to weaponize scripture tend yeah, to be I mean, the people who know the least know about much, it. Right. I mean, most yeah. of us don't know much about right. most things. Right. We'd just be better off recognizing that about ourselves. Yes. You know? We're not, we're not all experts in everything we think about. We can't be, it's impossible. The world's way too big. Uh, what I remember from that article though, is that like after the Kinsey report, you know, then you start seeing a lot more of that term being, translated as homosexual but before that it's often translated as soft men or effeminate men in a time when to put uh you know cursed are effeminate men like most people are like yeah cool we believe that but now you could never put that in the niv people yeah. would freak out because nobody believes that anymore and yet that's what it, that's actually kind of what the word signifies and so i i'm personally convinced by the arguments that say uh these passages reflect a sexism you know like that we don't think should be there anymore and we can move beyond that and it's fine it doesn't mean they weren't on to something at all you know nothing at all we should throw everything out but right like, and that's always don't... the problem i shouldn't say always the problem but often the problem that 
when people uh, reject a lot of the trappings of different faith traditions for ostensibly the right reasons, they tend to want to throw the whole thing away because they go, well, I pulled this card out and now the house of cards is gone. And it's like, ah, but I, I feel like the things that motivated MLK or Malcolm X or Sinead O'Connor or, you know, just all sorts of people you can name. Like, I feel like it's very arrogant of us to feel like we've outsmarted all of those people. <laughs> well, and it's also who built your house of cards? Like, that's something that I'm really focused on is like mm. you inherited a particular house of cards based on where you were born and when you were born and into what tradition. So for instance, when, like what did you lose your faith during the Catholic sex abuse scandal? No, you didn't because you were a Protestant, but if you had been a Boston Catholic, right. you might have. And then my house of cards about biblical inerrancy, you'd be like, we fucking never believed inerrancy. Anyway. <laughs> right, Why is right. that destroying your house of cards? So, it's about recognizing that we all have different houses of cards too. That is also contingent on where we were born and to whom yeah. and into what tradition. So it's, you know, you just got to, that's getting above that black and white rigid thinking, right? And just pushing that horizon further. Being open to new information and, and open to the idea that somebody else might know something that you don't. And, 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 and willing and, to yeah. contextualize your own self and your story, which is hard to do. That requires that kind of, Comfort with uncertainty requires a certain amount of maturity that sometimes is hard one and you only get through suffering. I mean, it's not like it's not easy to do what I'm talking about. Like, I don't want to give that impression. It's hard. Uh, but it, 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 it nonetheless, <laughs> even though it's hard, it nonetheless is true uh, that yeah. your local minister doesn't know shit about Eastern Orthodoxy and could yeah. not tell you much. Like, that is also true. And so they shouldn't be pronouncing on what counts as true Christianity if they couldn't even name things about the third biggest group of them in the world, right? It's just you're right. And and, you know? and and to me, it's like if the leader of your church, if your your head pastor, is writing a book about marriage, and in the book it gets so specific that it says, well, if you're on a business trip and you have a photograph of your wife then it's acceptable. You know, like, it, like how, it, to me, it's a frog in boiling water, right? Like, like how long have you been in the pot for the water to get to that boil that you're on page 34 and you're reading that from your pastor in his new book and you're like, okay, this is the thing. I'm getting the truth. Um, yeah. Like I how far of the reservation just, are you at that point? I, I mean, I actually think that that's probably the default position to be in as a human being is that, we just, we don't have enough time. Mm. We don't have free time and energy or interest uh, to devote to this stuff. And so what, what most youth group leaders find, for instance, around sex is that their kids want rules. They want to know what is okay and what is not okay. They don't really want to spend all day thinking about it and like discerning from first principles about am I loving my neighbor with this action or that action if I yeah. use my hand or she uses her hand. You yeah. know, like that they that's not what we tend to want as people. We well, want, and especially as children where rules, boundaries, and limitations are so important. Right. You know. Because right. you want, so, and and the, and they are in and of themselves a form of love from your parents. Right. And like, if we want to bring Richard Rohr into it and I don't, I'm not, I'm not speaking as a, 
uh, psychological trainee here because yeah. I haven't thought about this yet, but as someone who's read at least half of his book falling up, his, his argument is that you have to give kids a wall on which to push mm. against which mm -hmm. to push later. But if they have nothing to push back on, then they're just in the weeds entirely. And I think there's probably something to that. Like I do too. I sing Jesus loves me to my son. Uh, I change the words, they are weak, <laughs> but he is strong too. They feel weak, but he is strong because nice. they're not, I don't like saying that. Uh, but, you know, like he's going to get some of that stuff. And yeah. and he it's going to be simple. It's going to be childlike. And then we can talk about it later. Uh, but we are going to, he is going to be raised with a fairly traditional Christian upbringing. And I can't wait for when we, that becomes problematized. Yeah. And then we got to kind of work shit out. That's going to be the best of all, you know? Oh, dude. Amen. No pun intended. Um, yeah, good, good friend of mine, when my daughter was born, gave me a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And it was about a lot of this. I believe it's written by a psychologist who's coming from a Christian perspective, but, but her whole, you know, if you could sum the book up in a couple of sentences, it, it's basically saying, yeah, that idea of rules and boundaries you know, that when, when you hear a teenage girl say, oh, I couldn't do that, my dad would kill me. What they're really saying to their friends is more like, my dad loves me so much and so much more than yours because yours doesn't care that you're out all hours of the night and this and that yes. and whatever. And mine's so strict, he'll be, kill me. And that can, can, of course, go, go far, in the other right, yeah. direction. Overcorrecting, yes. yeah, in either but direction. there's something to that, right? Like yeah. some amount of protectiveness is like an inherent showing of love. Mm. Right. And of course, then in a society where men naturally have power and they have physical power over their daughters and that can, of course, go wrong. And then we have to deal really lovingly with people for whom they've become victims of that going Indeed. wrong. Indeed. But the, to go on the opposite end of complete laissez-faire, uh, you know, what's the evidence for that? That's not going to probably work very well. So yeah. it's finding that balance and having, yeah, some of that in there. And I think you that's know, I, where a lot of the quote unquote rules of different faith traditions, um, those of us who are iconoclastic and punk rock and question authority and think critically and tend to want to reject rules outright on principle because they're rules. Anarchy. Um, by the same turn, I think that there are guidelines and parameters that are well-meaning and well-intentioned and are, you know, don't touch the stove because it's hot. You don't necessarily have to put your hand on the hot stove to know that. Like someone you trust tells you <laughs> you're a step ahead. So I've been thinking about this a lot and because there's an inherent problem here, right? Which is, uh, yes, we need boundaries and rules and uh, further to strengthen the argument of more traditional religion. We've had a couple thousand years to think about these ones. <laughs> So there, wisdom traditions, of which is one way to think about religious traditions and, and includes some other non-religious ones like Zen Buddhism or something, which doesn't have any deity. Uh, religion, wisdom traditions have real wisdom. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, before right. his uh, massive success, The Righteous Mind book, the book he wrote before that is called The Happiness Hypothesis, and this is, he's talking about this stuff. That, like, wisdom traditions should not, like, what are the chances that your cool little utopian Esalen Institute idea you have in 70s Big Sur, California is going to do better in the long run than 2,000 years of Christianity or 3,300 years of Judaism or 4,500 years of Hinduism. Uh, 
low. The likelihood is, in fact, quite low that you right. will outperform those right. systems. However, on the other hand, there is the very real abuse that can happen when a fallible person speaks for God, mm -hmm. when they're speaking for their tradition, or worse, their own interpretation of their tradition, which is, which is worse. Um, and so how, what's the, there is a problem here. It's not clear where the line is between mm. those two and where the balance is. And so I'm wondering, like, one thing I'm kicking around is, like, rather than saying this is what God said, which is probably inevitable with children, maybe with adults we say this is what our tradition does. This is what our tradition has said. Mm. And here's why. T test it. Taste and see. Try it out. Try out the opposite. See if you come back. That, I feel like, all things equal, is a lot more is a lot more effective way to actually convince people of the truth of something. Um, this is another thing we're learning in our training, that, like, you don't just tell someone they're wrong. Uh, as we've all learned around the dinner table when <laughs> politics comes up, that doesn't fucking work. So... What what's like a more nuanced approach, you know, and and how could that be applied to religious teaching? And, you know, these are horizon questions for me, but really interesting stuff that I don't I don't know what how to answer it. The stuff I think about all the time, I don't get to talk about often enough, which is precisely why my workaholic right. brain constructs ways to create <laughs> mediums and vehicles for me right. to get to sit here and, and talk about exactly this stuff. yeah and, and yeah when you mentioned belief i don't think i've i don't know why it didn't occur to me before but i'm sure we have an overlap of of friends and all that um i manage the band demon hunter oh and our bass player john dunn works at belief and i know almost Ryan clark used to work there demon hunter. Yeah, right I so i don't know the clark guy as well but i've met him yeah well you know i think it was don clark who recommended uh your podcast to me well because because my co-host john was working at belief at the time yeah, that, makes, that we were doing it that, that yeah. all makes sense yep. um it all comes it's all divinely ordained that we're talking <laughs> about. Um, <laughs> um yeah well dude this has been fun i don't want to keep you all night it's uh, invigorating i love this stuff um and i would love to have you back on sometime i already agreed to come back on again perfect Great chat Man, awesome. Yeah. I and want to talk uh, more about music. I don't that's something I don't get to talk about very much. Yeah. The second half of this conversation is a little more what I'm used to talking about. That first half was like truly a, a treat. <laughs> for me. Very nice. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. You're probably in fact, the opposite, right? Because you spent all those years doing music journalism and so Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we so I'm give, so so for dude, this is a bit, you know. That's the exchange. That's what we've hit upon. And if and if we both weren't doing a thousand things, this is the podcast we would create together. There just you go. to make our lives yeah. more complicated. Because yeah, exactly you you're gonna be great in your field because you analyzed it perfectly. I love having conversations like this about theology and the big picture because I don't get to have enough of them, only a little taste of them in my music journalism and movie journalism life. And I'm sure you love talking about music and movies. I do. Because you're talking about theology Ooh, and philosophy. Let's all talk the time. about movies next time. Let's bring movies into it. Write a couple questions about movies. Perfect. Um, that, that is what I like when I have my, because you know, as I'm sure you do, I have 15 other podcast series ideas. Of course. And the ones that I most want to do but won't do are about movies. Like that's my own hobby. I should have you on one of the other ones that I am doing. And this was and this was the first podcast that I started when every all my friends were like, you should start a podcast. Why don't you have one? And I did and didn't necessarily know what it was going to be. And so then it kind of fell by the wayside. And then I got really into this, you know, 
I have this podcast that's about this stuff. I have one called Speak and Destroy that is about Metallica and only about Metallica. So all the guests are either directly, indirectly, tangentially connected to the band, have influenced the band, have been influenced by the band. Do you do that with Ethan Luck? Is he involved in that? Is he a part of a different Metallica podcast? He's part of a different Metallica podcast. Okay, you know Ethan, though. I Very well. Okay, I figured, yeah. Very well. Um, and, and it was uh, in the comedian world what they call parallel thinking. I got a text from Ethan one day that said, dude, you're the first person I thought of to tell this. I'm starting a Metallica podcast. And I said, <laughs> so am I. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm like, pretty far down the road of uh, here comes the path again, bringing us full circle. Yeah. He's like, I, you know, we've, we've got a name for it. We got this, we got art. We, we did this and that and whatever. And, and then I'm texting him back and I'm showing him six months before I had grabbed all the social handles. And what's funny is when he and I had this conversation, there was no Metallica podcast. And within a year, I think there's like six of them now. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. But yeah, his is great. He's one of my good friends for a very long time. He does it with a buddy of his in Nashville. And, and we That's actually right. talked, during that conversation about, well, should we just do it together? But then even what each of us is doing is, is pretty different. Theirs is, is a never, and Metallica is a never, it's such a big enough well band. Of There's content. a never ending yeah. well of content. And theirs is really two guys discussing, analyzing, nerding out kind of like Monday morning quarterbacking. And yours is more Metallica. And mine, every episode is an interview. Yeah. Um, and they occasionally have guests on, but it's, but it's a different thing. And I think a lot of people are, are listening to both. So. How many people listen to like a weekly Metallica podcast? I'm, I'm, you don't have to tell the numbers. I just mean like, do you know how many people are regular listeners and how many people sort of like, eh, they'll pick the, the one they want to listen to. I think I have a lot of listeners who, I mean, yeah. Cause I can see episode by episode, bigger guests are bigger. For sure. Listen, listeners. It's like when I do episodes on, being gay or purity culture or hell those are those get the big numbers those are the hot topics i love that those are the uh it's i love that that's your m shadows of avenge sevenfold is your sex and hell totally it's sex and hell or universal salvation which is just hell by another name Uh, yeah 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 exactly for for me if you're yeah if you're in avenge sevenfold or uh slayer or megadeth or five finger death punch that's a bigger episode than if you're you know, in Saxon or I'm just like, I'm trying to imagine anything. Like there's a beach boys podcast called sail on, which is very good. And that's my favorite band of all time. I've seen Brian Wilson play like four times as an adult. And I listened to like two episodes and then I was like, I don't know how much beach boys podcast. I (laughs) I know. Like, you know, and and that's, and that's where, and that's where I handed to Ethan and that him and his buddy have, have, they've built a real community. They have like, I think they have listeners on the show. Um, Yeah. You know, yeah, and I think people, and I think it's cool. something where people are yeah. into their personalities, right? Like yeah. they love listening to those two particular guys talk about Metallica in the way that they do. That's how I listen to Blank Check with Griffin and David. I sometimes have watched the movie that they're talking about, but I'll listen to it even if. Oh, them. my favorite! My favorite riff, podcast you know? is How Did This Get Made? And very rarely have I. You know, I know they have some listeners, yeah, I think, who watch movies. the movie they're yeah, going yeah, right. to talk about and listen. I don't need to do that. I get no, you don't plenty out of it if I haven't seen the movie. But yeah, yeah, and this brings us around to the very first podcast that I started that I came. Um, it's like, okay, so No Brides from God is this. Speak and Destroy is Metallica. Pop Curse, which was the original podcast. By I the had. way, Speak and Destroy is a fucking great name. Thank you. I'm a big fan of puns. And, and uh, I felt... Which 
Oh, I feel like I have to say, I just found out that Taking Back Sunday has a podcast called Talking Back Sunday. Oh, my gosh. Dude, that I want... That is gold. I wanted to start a Misfits podcast, and I even have artwork for it, called Talk Among Us. And then someone, a Misfits fan recently, and this is just one of those, That's well, they beat me fruit. to it. Yeah, That's low-hanging fruit. It is low-hanging yeah. fruit. And someone grabbed that but fruit and took a big Talking Back Sunday... I That's don't know brilliant. that there's a better straight band name to podcast name. Yeah. That's that's got to be Pantheon right there. It's great. And I did have the drummer of Taking Back Sunday on Speaking of Troy because he is a huge Metallica fan. Nice. He has an Injustice for All tattoo. Oh, hell yeah. Um, so anyway, Pop Curse, the other one. one. Musicians Talking Movies. Pop Curse. Yes. That is the elevator pitch. Musicians talking movies. And I I've got it. some three episodes words. in the bank already. I've got, uh, yeah, three words. I didn't even think about it that way. It's very. Mm, Isn't mm, Pop mm. Curse the name of your network? Yes. Okay. So this is like the, the master the, podcast. This yeah. is going to be the, the, the flagship show, the flagship show. And the funny thing about it being the flagship is that it is currently the least active, least yeah. listened right. to. Yeah. Oh, because that's what you, that was your. That was my first one. Landing like, it. Got it. I see. Okay. Totally. Totally. Uh, and I so happily be on that show. And I, I've got some in the bank. I have uh, my buddy Spencer's in a band called Ice Nine Kills. We did an episode about The Shining. Yep. And he has uh, some direct relationships that are super interesting to the Kubrick family. I did Robocop with Blothar of Guar. Yeah. And we did it over video and he's in costume and in character talking about Robocop. I just did. And this, this was actually pitched to me and I went, yes, please. Um, I just did the original John Carpenter Halloween with the guys from Twisted. Whoop, whoop. Juggalo culture. I will be dropping that one right before Halloween. Wow. Okay. Um, what else did I do? Uh, I feel like there's another one I forgot about. Oh, uh, Patrick from Demon Hunter. We did Scream. He's a huge Scream fan. Is it all going to be horror films? No, it's just it just okay. so happens I'm banking these for October. Like, can we do Almost Famous or Disney uh, or something? 100%. Okay. You right. pick the movie. I, I don't think I should be able to called dibs on almost famous that's kind of you know that's, that's like the thing. A grail it's early enough though it's kind of like a tribute album right if you get in that tribute album early you can that's you can do grail. inner sandman you okay. can do creeping well death. yeah all right speaking of uh, getting pitched ideas i just got pitched an idea today for you have permission that i'm stoked on uh this i guess she's a young woman i assume she didn't tell me her age but she just completed her dissertation she's autistic and completed her dissertation on autism and Christian theology oh. and why autistic people are drawn to and repelled by certain aspects of Christian thinking. And I'm like, fuck yeah. I literally wrote her back. I was like, fuck yeah, let's do this. Of this course is, this is me. This. this is me eating popcorn. I got pitched somebody and, you, and because you've been doing this a lot longer and a lot bigger than I have, you've probably experienced this already. But for the first time I got a pitch from someone that doing some reverse engineering, I realized is a company that people who want to be guests on podcasts hire to go find podcasts for them and pitch them as guests. Yeah. I mean, they're just publicists, right? Well, no, I, that, that's the thing is this, I mean, sure. But, but this was like very specific. I don't just know. Podcasts. I've probably gotten some of those in, I not know they were kind of weird. I yeah. get a lot from publicists for books. Okay. Or occasionally publicists for other podcasts. I just had um, this awesome woman on who's a Catholic journalist and kind of kind of PR person, but that, that makes it sound bad in this case. It isn't what it sounds like. She's not doing PR, uh, but she did a podcast on the sex abuse crisis in the Catholic Church. 
Oh, nice. Um, mostly the last like three four years since the uh, not that that crisis is nice but the no no but but they'd done like some oh, very serious awesome. reporting on it and stuff and yeah. so that was very cool um and so yeah i'll get pitched stuff but most of my guests are i seek them out based on stuff yeah I same here same here uh, but but, uh, but i did get pitched by this like podcast broker person i would say yeah, more of a podcast of broker than a publicist yeah yeah and, and, but, but but i but i said yes that sounds great it's a guy a theologian in Ireland who was uh, Catholic and has since converted to, uh, he's basically trying to resurrect being a Celtic priest. Oh, cool. And he's into the Irish Celtic faith tradition. That's and very he, cool. He calls himself a Celtic monk and this, and he's older. He's like, what's this guy's name? It's not Padraig Otama, is it the poet? Um, I can tell you momentarily. It is, it is Dara Malloy. Oh, cool. That he's sounds a, cool. He's a Celtic monk. Yeah, and it was one of those where I was like, yeah. That sounds right yeah, up my alley. Great. Sometimes you need someone to pitch you something. Right, and it's been rare, and I, and I welcome it. I do, yeah, and I do, for the Metallica one, I do get... Um, Who doesn't want to be on the Metallica podcast? Yeah, but sometimes I get pitches that don't make any sense, right? right where it's right. a music publicist who's like, this band has a new record, and I'm like, cool. Who's the Metallica super fan in the band? Oh. Right. Yeah. Right. But hey, I had the guitar player from Creed on, and it was one of the most popular episodes. Who'd have <laughs> I'm thought? Speechless. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ryan. Well, next time we'll talk movies, I guess. Yeah, you know what? We'll pick a movie and we'll do we'll do a pop Chris episode. You can claim almost famous. Nobody's claimed it. I might no. I might want to go on a little. It. I might go deeper, like maybe a Malik film or something like that. Mm -hmm. I might go something with like a a lot to chew on. I'm gonna think uh, about say, this. That sounds like yeah. That's what we should do with you. But will people like that? Are they going to care? Yeah, I will. Okay. All right. Well, I'll think about it. All right. Well, dude, man, that was fun. Thanks so much. That was super yeah. awesome. And uh, yeah, on to the next. Yeah.